You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. the sanctuary on Friday night and I began to pray. I seen person after person, family after family come into this place. And it was cold and storming outside, but you showed up. In the middle of our time together, I took a walk around and simply just observed what God was doing in his church. This body of believers that we get to call Mission Point. I watched as families were teaching their kids how to pray. People sought after God. They were going around praying for needs on the prayer request list, praying for each other. You didn't come out of duty. You came. You didn't come out of obligation. You came to worship the king together with fellow believers out of delight. You came together to earnestly ask the Lord that heaven and earth would collide, praying heaven's reality into earthly existence. The power of the Holy Ghost flowed from person to person. If we are to be in one accord as one church with one mission, we need prayer. My wife and I have been reading every day a devotional called The Book on Prayer by King Gurley. Phenomenal book. In it, he states the importance of personal prayer, but also the strength to the church by means of united prayer with one another. He writes this. He says, all prayer is good. United prayer is best. Private prayer is like praising God on the symbols. United prayer is like praising him on the high-sounding symbols. We are created for community. We are the church, the ecclesia, as is translated from the Greek. And it means the called out ones. Somebody turn to somebody next to you and say, the called out ones. God has been calling us to, to be his called out ones. He has been calling us back to, pray, to prayer. Because it's only through prayer, through spending time with him, that we become like him. The church begins looking more like its creator. We transform more and more into his image as we commune with him. Lately, I felt a sense of urgency to speak to you on this topic that I'm uh, going to speak to you here this morning on. And God has got us as a church on this path of spiritual growth like never before. And so I turn your attention here this morning to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia about their spiritual growth. He was outlining what God wanted them to grow in. This is what it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. And just for a few moments here this morning, I'm going to be speaking to you on this topic, fresh off the vine. If we could just join together in prayer one more time, ask God to have his way throughout the rest of this service, help our hearts to be able to receive what he has for us here today. Lord, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity once again to join together in worship and prayer. God, we ask right now that you would let your will be done with the remainder part of this service. Lord, you know each and every person here better than they even know themselves. You know what they've come in here with and what their thought pattern has been this week. 
God, and I pray right now that you would come alive in their life. Let your word come alive in their life here this morning. We take hold of it. God, and we ask, Lord, that your will will be done. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Amen. Paul lists 15 acts of sinful nature of humanity in verses 19 to 21, just prior to what we read in Galatians chapter 5. Things that the Galatians had made an end to. They had come out of that world, and they were a very young church. But then in verses 22 to 23, he lists nine things which he calls the fruit of the Spirit. And he ends verse 23 with this statement. Against such things, there is no law. Laws are meant to restrain people from certain behavior, but there is no need to restrain from these nine things. In all of the huge volumes of the world, if you could go around and search, you would search in vain to find a law against love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so it is not true that everything good is either illegal or fattening. It's just not true. None of these nine fruits will out add a pound to your body or any guilt to your conscience. There is no need for laws to control the growth of this fruit. In contrast, the acts of the flesh... These acts and attitudes do not hurt people in any way. They help and they heal. They are a foretaste of heaven. And the goal in this life is to become a garden where they grow in abundance. The Greek word for fruit is karpos. It's a very popular word in the New Testament. It's used 66 times. In fact, Jesus used it more than all the rest combined. Starting today, the next four Sundays, I'll be speaking to you when I want us as a church to strive to consume all that God has revealed about spiritual fruit. We'll be doing this four-part series together. With every branch that we reach towards prayerfully, we do it together as a church. The Bible talks about fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and I just want to take a moment to differentiate between the two. The fruit of the Spirit in a person's life shows maturity, growing in Christ, spiritual maturity. But the gifts of the Spirit were given for the edification, the building up of the church. They are not a sign of maturity. Anyone can be used in the gifts of the Spirit. But if you have gifts, but not the fruit, the Bible tells us that they are worthless, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that I could move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. The point that Paul is making is that the gifts of the Spirit need to be underneath the direction of the fruit of the Spirit or they lose their complete value. And so in essence... Gifts have to do with what you do, but fruit have to do with who you are. It's your makeup, what you're comprised of. This list that Paul gives is a picture of what the church is to look like, of what it's supposed to consist of. But it is entirely different from what this church in Galatia was used to, what the, the world that they had come out of. As stated, it's a young church that Paul established. They had come out of the world that knew quite well fear, despair, angst, anger, bitterness, envy. But underneath Christ, he was rewriting their story. The letter to the church in Galatians is full of timeless truths that can be applied to us here today. This isn't an outdated book. This is something that goes on from generation to generation. 
The Bible says that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. It's going to endure forever. And that's why it's important that we don't miss this. What are we producing in our life? What are we producing in our church? You know an apple tree by its fruit. If there are no apples on a tree but plums instead, you know that it's not an apple tree. It's a plum tree. All fruit trees are identified by their fruit. I don't know how many of you can walk through the woods and name tree after tree, but some need to be able to see what it produces in order to know what type of tree it is. And so the Christian is to be identified by the fruit that they bear. How do you know if a Christian is growing to be more like Christ? You can't tell by the position that they hold in the church or by the gifts that they put on display or by the awards that they may win. You can only tell by what they produce. What Paul outlines for the church is accessible to everyone. They are low-lying fruit on the branches of our life. And what Paul outlines here today is applicable to each and every one of us. Nothing else matters if we do not produce the fruit of the Spirit. These are the nine marks of the growing Christian. These are the nine signs of spiritual maturity. And all of these fruit hang together like a cluster of grapes on the vine. They are one. Hear, hear me this morning. They are one. They are like nine segments of an orange. They are parts, but together they make one. To have all of them active in our life, we need to surrender our whole being to the Almighty and allow Him to produce freedom. Freedom to produce in us all that He desires. Ian Barclay tells of a girl who read an article in a gardening magazine. I don't know how many of you guys read gardening magazines. But her father was into a situation. He was frustrated about his own tree. And there was an article in this gardening magazine that overviewed a fruitless apple tree. Somebody else had encountered the exact same thing. And so in it, the article said to drive a few nails into the trunk of the tree. So he decided to try it. What is he going to lose? It's not producing right now anyways. So he drives a few nails into the trunk of the tree. And the next year, the tree bore fruit like never before. Sometimes pain and suffering can be productive. It's like pruning a tree. So do not waste the hard times. Ask God to use them as fertilizer to encourage growth in us. A fertilizer may be awful, and it's a little hard to bear at times. There are not many of us that will drive through the countryside, smell freshly sprayed fields, and say, ah. But the effects, the effects can be wonderful if the end result is growth. Remember, these are not our fruit as if we could produce them by our own efforts. If we could have done that, we would have done it a long time ago. They come to us by the working of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Our task is to open up our lives and let Him work. It's a matter of submission and surrender so that He can change us from within. And so when we come to God like we did here today, we don't come thinking that we've got it all together. We come and say, God, I need you in every part of my life. I surrender myself to you. I'm dependent on you. In order to make a difference in this world, Christians have to be different. And the key to that is the production of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's no surprise that love is the first fruit that's listed. Everything else follows after love. Throughout the New Testament, love is highlighted as one of the chief characteristics of Christians. And there are dozens of Bible verses that talk about love. 
first. We're called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. We're called to delight in God, to pursue Him, to give all that we have for Him. We do a great disservice to ourselves and to God when we just serve Him out of religion or just serve Him out of, out of, out of uh, uh, this is what we've always done, so this is just what we do. And we think that we get some sort of sticker for it. <laughs> I know my, my uh, daughter came home with a reading challenge at school right now. Whoever reads the most, whatever class collectively reads the most, they're going to have some form of party at the end of it. And so they've been pushing themselves to read, and the teachers have been pushing them to read. And she came home with, uh, with some papers, and uh, there were stickers that were stapled to it that we could take. And once she completed that page, we could give her a sticker to put on it and It it compelled her to do it, but this is not a sticker religion. This is a relationship. This is something that we don't do out of obligation, but we do because we delight in Him. We love Him. We serve Him because we love Him. God is worthy of our deepest affections and highest praise. And second, we're called to love each other. A little bit more difficult at times than just loving God. That person sitting across from you, the person that you come across in the grocery store, those that you work with, we are called to love. As Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 44, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how people will know that you are disciples of Jesus. By the love that we have for each other, the markings on your life as a Christian that identify you above everything else is love. Jesus commands us to love one another, both in word and deed. We're called to serve one another, to bear each other's burdens, to care for one another, to lay our lives down for one another, and as we did on Friday night, to pray for one another. But we throw the word love around to mean almost anything, don't we? I love my car. I love flying. I love pizza. I love my kids. I love my wife. I love my parents. I love all of you. The Greek language, however, has several different words that are used to convey love for different things. We have one. And so it's easy to misconstrue exactly what the Bible is talking about when it refers to love. First, there is eros, Greek word eros, which is a passionate love. You know when you're nauseated and tingly all over? It has to be that either you're in love or you have smallpox. Eros isn't actually used in the Bible. The next form of love was philia, and this was the warm, fuzzy feeling we have for those nearest and dearest to us. This is friendship. And then there is storage. This is affection, what you feel for your parents or your children. But Paul, he doesn't use any of those words for love in this context. Instead, he uses the word that we know, agape. Agape is a le- less of a feeling of the heart and more a resolve of the mind. It is as much an act of the will as it is an act of the emotions. It is why Jesus can tell us to love our enemies. Lord, how? It is a conscious action, something that you decide to do and something that you cannot do without the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. One of the greatest descriptions of this agape love is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. It says, love is patient and kind. 
Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. Don't be looking at your spouse right now. It's not a good time. And it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Listen to this. Love never gives up. Somebody be thankful for that. Love never gave up on you. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful, and it adores through every circumstance. That's the type of love that Paul was referring to. Now, most of us are familiar with that passage. Maybe some of us have had it read as part of our wedding ceremonies. The word that is used here in this context for love is agape, the kind of love that goes through any bound, the kind of love that we see through the cost of the cross. Christ told his disciples in John chapter 13, verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The second in this lineup that's mentioned is joy. Laughter is a universal gift. It, it transcends every single continent of this world. But joy is something else. It's much deeper. It's based on love and not laughter. Laughter is momentary, but joy is a state of the mind that is permanent. We see this all through the New Testament. This was the joy that Christ had. He is about to go to the cross and suffer on a level that we will never fully comprehend. And yet he says to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Again, in his great prayer, two chapters later in John chapter 17, verse 13, he says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. He was facing the worst that life could throw at him with evil, suffering, pain, hatred, injustice, cruelty, betrayal. And yet Jesus had fullness of joy. Say, well, how could that be? We see it also in Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. They were attacked and beaten. And we read in verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And so he put their feet in stock so they could not move. It was not what you would call a fun day in the park. It was a terrible day. And these men had to be in pain. Nevertheless, we read in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. This is when God sent an earthquake, freed them of their bonds, and the jailer, was miraculously converted with his whole family. Joy is not a positive feeling that life is going great. Joy is a feeling that no matter how hard life may get, and I know you've been there, no matter how hard life may be, I have the best in Christ. Anyone can feel good and be happy when all is going well and life is free of negatives, but the fruit of joy, you can rejoice in the Lord always. Madame Guyon was thrown into prison in France. She wrote this from prison. I passed my time there in great peace, content to pass the rest of my life there, if such were the will of God. I sang songs of joy while the maid who served me learned by heart as fast as I made them. And together we sang thy praises, O my God. 
The stones of my prison looked in my eyes like rubies. I esteemed them more than all the gaudy brilliance of the world. My heart was full of that joy thou givest to them that love thee in the midst of their greatest crosses. Her poetry, which is, she sang in prison, is still sung and read today, though she died in 1717. She wrote 40 volumes from prison. And here are just a few lines that I'll give you here this morning. She says this, Though my foes have combined and my body confined, yet my soul is with liberty blessed. I am humbly content with whatever is sent, for I know that thy pleasure is best. Thy wondrous defense makes a cell seem immense. It sheds so peculiar a grace, such a pleasure abounds, such a glory surrounds, and the joys of thy kingdom embrace. That's the type of joy that can only grow in the life of one who knows that no matter what, they are loved by God. Let me tell you here this morning, if you didn't know it when you walked into this place, God loves you. That's the joy that we hold on to here today, though no matter what we face, He loves us. Amen. Joy grows out of love, the first fruit of the Spirit. It grows out of a love that says, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that even when Christians are persecuted and they are slandered, there to rejoice and be glad, for the reward is great in heaven. Let me remind you that we cannot produce this fruit on our own, once again. That's why they are called the fruit of the Spirit. We need the Spirit of God to work in our lives to help us produce them. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, Be joyful always. Rejoice always. Not happy, but joyful always. He doesn't say 90% of the time, not 98% of the time, but always. Augustine said over 1,500 years ago, this is what he wrote, There is a joy which is not given to the ungodly, but to those who love thee for thine own sake, whose joy thou thou self art. David, he said in Psalm 16, verse 11, You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasure at your right hand. Listen to Cyprian, a Christian leader of the church at Carthage in A.D. 200. He wrote, This is a cheerful world as I see it from my fair garden. But if I could ascend some high mountain and look over the world, wide over the lands, you know very well what I might see. Brigades on the highways, pirates on the seas, armies fighting, cities burning, and the amphitheaters, men murdered to please applauding crowds, selfishness and cruelty and misery and despair under all roofs. It is a bad world, Donatus. That's who he was writing to, Donatus. An incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any of the pleasures of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatus, are Christians, and I am one of them. How many is thankful to be one of them? There are times when you are going to weep over things in this world that happen and things that make you feel down. That's natural. But there is a peace in knowing the joy that comes from the assurance that we have in Christ. Come what may, he's by our side. There is no blindness here to evil, but eyes wide open to the good news in Christ, which produces the joy that overcomes the world.
just as I come to a close and I have the music come back at this time. Growing up, my dad and I would put in a garden. We would go down with his 1967 Ford tractor, which he still has today. We would till up the ground once again. I would go beside the tractor as he was tilling it up and just begin chucking the rocks out of the way, throwing them to the side. We'd plow the soil up into rows and then go with the bag of seed and start planting. Every day, my dad would go down to the garden to water it, and we would wait for little sprouts to appear. But until they did, we kept doing what we knew to do. We would keep showing up every day, watering the garden, watering the garden every single day. And after a number of days of seeing nothing produce from the efforts that we had exerted, we would see the smallest sign, the tiniest indication that what we had been doing was working. A little green sprout would peek out of the soil. And so we would continue to water every day, and every day we would see a little bit more growth, a little bit more growth. One year, once the plants were grown to a good size, we came down to the garden, and a number of them were covered in white spots and appeared to be dying. We could all stand. Dad was always diligent at taking care of the garden, pulling out any weeds that might get in the way and choke out the plants that we were trying to grow. And this is something that we had never encountered in all the years that we had gardened. Never encountered this. A disease had taken hold of the plants called blight. It's an infectious disease that spreads quickly from plant to plant. It spreads by fungal spores that is carried by insects, wind, water, animals. It can come from anywhere. But it needs to be watered in order to flourish. That's the only way that blight actually uh, continues to flourish. And some things that come into our life, we unintentionally water along with the good, not knowing that we are giving life to disease. And the only way to remove it is to remove all the affected leaves. So as quickly as we can pull off the leaves of fear, we pull off the leaves of hatred so that the fruit of love and joy can be grown. This morning I'm not going to open up the I'm going to open up the altar and I want to ask God to reveal in us what he has been wanting to grow and what needs to be uprooted. Let him speak to us. David he wrote in Psalm 1 begins Psalms with this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight, there's that word again, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So maybe here this morning, maybe you struggle with love. Whether that's for yourself, whether that's for other people, whether that's maybe even contemplating if God loves you. The Bible tells us that we are to love the Lord with all of our heart, body, soul, strength, first and foremost. And then it tells us to love others around us as ourselves. When you, came, when you come to the altar this morning, I want you to come with a heart that's open to God's love and allow Him to show His love to you. Let Him prune out the things that shouldn't be there. If you've had trouble loving yourself, ask Him to help you see yourself the way that He sees you. Ask Him to help you see that you are worth saving. You are worth dying for. And in return, when you're filled with the love from God, it will overflow unto others.
when you're over, in the overflow of God's love, joy will be the byproduct of it. That joy arise in your life like never before once you recognize the magnitude of his love. And when you come to the altar this morning, I want you to ask God to help produce in you the kind of joy that this world didn't give and this world can't take away. If you know someone that's struggling with love or joy, I want you to come and pray for them. The fruit of the Spirit is the building blocks of our own personal Christian lives so that God can build his church through us. And we need a resurrection of joy and love in our lives. If you need that here this morning, I invite you to come. If you want to come and pray for somebody else, I invite you to come. But as we begin opening up the altar through song here this morning, I want us to come with a heart that's completely surrendered to him and to his will. God, just have your way here this morning. Speak through me. Speak into my life, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Help me once again to examine what I'm producing. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. If you've been suffering with anxiety, if you've been suffering with fear in your life, I want you to come and give that to God. Let him mend you. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.